Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. In our sermon this afternoon, we're going to look at our confession about the nature of a true faith. And you find here in Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ out of great need, and she receives the commendation from him too. That her faith is great. Matthew fifteen twenty one through twenty eight. So Matthew fifteen verse twenty one. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let's sing in response to this from Psalm 6, the first two stanzas, 1 and 2 of Psalm 6. So our sermon this afternoon is based also on Lord's Day 7, the Word of God as we confess it there about the nature of true faith. In question answer 21, let's read that together. This is on page 523 in your book of praise. So first of all, on Lord's Day 7, in question 20, we stress that it is faith that connects us, grafts us into Jesus Christ Then in question 21, we ask, what is true faith? We answer, true faith is a sure knowledge, whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 73, 8 and 9. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In one way you could say life is about asking the right questions. You need to ask the right questions Otherwise, you will never find the important answers. Do you know what the right questions would be? How about the one the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16? Who do you say that I am? That question and the answer to that question, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, 
That is the foundation for so much more. There's that rich ruler in Luke 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There are riches far greater than anything in this world. But how? What must you do to inherit them? Or how about that jailer in Acts 16? He asked something similar. What must I do to be saved? The jailer, if you might recall, probably thought his life was over because the prisoners had likely escaped. But Paul and his companions had not moved at all during an earthquake. All that shakes up the jailer too, and not just physically. The jailer asked a question that perhaps he had never asked before. It seems like today people are asking the question, what must I do to save the planet? Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with caring for the earth. Christians can gladly do that. But there's also a sense in which Christians want to be saved from the world because the world, also the human world, is like the Titanic going down. It struck the iceberg of our sin and the power of the devil. The question that we need to be asking then is this, not... How can the planet be saved? How can I be saved? And the Word of God reveals that salvation for you and me is not just a possibility. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirst, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. The Lord Jesus Christ says something similar in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That invitation in Scripture, those words are very broad and wide. Very clearly. In the Word of God, no one is to ever think, "Mm, it's, it's not for me. I'm too sinful. If you knew what I had done, no. If you are thirsty, if you are weary and heavy laden, come. But then there's that question, come and do what? And the short answer is this, believe. Christians, we are first of all believers. We're not like Pharisees focused on minutely keeping the law, more concerned with being self-righteous, really. We're not mystics, focused on rituals or inward experiences. We are believers. That's the short definition of a Christian. In the Word of God itself, the Christian religion in Scripture is sometimes called the faith, because that's what lies at the heart of it. The words faith or believe occur over 500 times in the New Testament. As the Lord Jesus Christ goes about preaching about the kingdom of God, that was his command, repent and believe, Mark 1.15. That's where we're at here in the catechism. Who are saved? Are all saved? who perished in Adam? And we answer, only those who by a true faith 
are engrafted into Christ. Now notice carefully the approach, too, of our Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism does not answer who are saved. Only those are saved whom God works a true faith in their hearts. That is true. That's at the end of our question and answer. But that's not at the beginning. We do certainly know that faith is a gift of God. But Scripture, in so many places, first of all, gives us the command to believe. It holds us responsible. The gospel is offered to us. If anyone's thirst, let him come to me and drink, says Christ in John 7.37. Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's Paul's answer to the question of the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the book of Acts makes it very clear too. The Christian church grows and is filled with believers. But then we need to ask this question in a question. What is a true faith? Now let me highlight the question here. What is a true faith? True, first of all, in terms of, well, there are other things that might look like faith. In the Word of God, you can read about people who, even be, who believed in a certain way, like Simon, Uh, the magician in Acts chapter 8, but he did not have true faith. What is true faith? How do I make sure I'm not fooling myself? But let me also highlight, it's a true faith that saves you, not a strong faith. Sometimes I think that is how we might read the Heidelberg Catechism. As if it says, who are saved? Only those who have a strong faith. That's not the answer. The strongest faith in thin ice will never save you. But even weak faith in thick ice is enough. What is true faith? And then we give an answer in the Heidelberg Catechism. I think this is one of those prized answers And the Heidelberg Catechism, a beautiful answer. The true faith has those two parts. A sure knowledge and a firm confidence. We're going to break that down. First of all, a true faith is filled with knowledge. It's very clear in Scripture that believers are those who know and who will hold on to the truth of God. The truth about God, the truth about God's work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, true faith, it's not just an opinion. Faith is not just a positive outlook on things. Faith knows, knows the things of God. Faith knows, also in the midst of darkness, confusion, and even lies. Already in New Testament times, there were false teachers. We mentioned that this morning too in 2 Peter. The Apostle Paul in Galatians talks about other gospels, distortions of the good news. 
The apostles were busy preaching the truth of God's word in Jesus Christ. Also, they were busy as teachers. You can read in Acts about the early church. Believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. And as the apostles write scripture by the Spirit to the churches, you find you would say that much of their preaching is really teaching. Those two things belong together. They cannot be separated. And the apostles often say things like, do you not know or we know? The apostles continually explain, instruct. Even look at that Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. Look at how she comes to the Lord Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. It's very clear. This woman knows things. Someone has taught this woman. She believes and knows Jesus is the son of David. Her faith is not some sort of blind leap in the dark. A true faith is filled with doctrine. That's what the word doctrine means. It just means teaching. Today, doctrine is often given a, a bad rap. We live in a, in a post-truth world, it's been said. So that means if you claim to have the truth or to know the truth, that's so often interpreted as some sort of arrogant power grab. That's the only way our world can understand it. When you speak about truth, you're regarded as a cult. When I was younger, there was a saying, doctrine, doctrine divides. Certainly doctrine can cause that. And what is in your head can make you fat in the head, puffed up. But doctrine, do we see that doctrine is like wood for the fire of faith? Certainly, if it's sort of just up there in your head, then yes, it's like having a, a big pile of wood that's supposed to be burning, but no, it, it's just sitting there. Sort of wood all just sort of stacked together. But do not make the mistake of thinking that you don't need the wood. And then just throwing out the wood. If you want the fire, the fire of faith, you need the wood. And the more wood you can throw onto that fire, the better it will burn. Our problem is never too much knowledge. Our problem is never too much knowledge. Look at the early church. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Praise our Lord Jesus in John 17. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed the truth would fill our lives because the truth is what sanctifies us, makes us holy. One man says, the heart, the heart cannot hold for long what the mind rejects. That's why there is also a place too in the Christian faith for apologetics, for defending the faith. A true faith can give answers to things. The true faith can know and defend that knowledge. 
Our faith is not something irrational. Our faith trusts in the truth of the Word of God. Now we confess in the catechism here that true faith accepts as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. Now let's stop here for a moment too. I want to highlight that word, accepts. It comes from Scripture. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2. I invite you to open your Bibles. You'll see that in the Heidelberg Catechism, so often we echo the words of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. After Colossians, you'll find Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. There the Apostle Paul says this. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you Believers, you accepted it. A true faith is not always raising objections, questioning this or that. Something big happens in our lives here because sinners do not like to accept. Sinners are always opposing the things of God. The Word of God bothers them. They are even blind and deaf to it in a certain way. And they cannot understand it on their own. But something new grows in the hearts of believers. They accept. They accept the Word of God about their sin. They accept. The sinful heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17.9 They accept. A donkey spoke to the prophet Balaam. They accept. The Lord Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. The I am himself. We do not retreat in this post-truth world and just define our faith as something, you know, just being optimistic. No, we know. Faith accepts. We do not have to have things proven to us. Biblical archaeology might be very interesting and helpful to study, but it's not that that has convinced us. It's not some logical argument that we're following. We accept the Word of God. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for to believe, ha'amin, the word amen comes from it. Believe and amen. Those are really the same word. Amen, you mean, you know, right? means it is true and certain. That's what belief is like. That's what faith says. Everything that God says, it is true and certain. Amen. Now, two more things on this particular point about this knowledge. 
the knowledge of faith. It is like other knowledge. It is like knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. But yet it is also not like that. What I mean is that this knowledge is not just something of the mind. For instance, John Calvin often calls it a heart knowledge. So faith is not just sort of assenting to the truth in some sort of cold, detached way. Secondly, this knowledge is not just a static thing. You learn and grow in this knowledge, and part of it is also by the doing. If anyone does the will of my Father, he will know whether what I say is from God or not. That's what the Lord Jesus says in John 7, 17. If anyone does the will of my Father, the path to this knowledge also is in doing and living, in obeying. There are many things that you cannot really know until you try them, do them. Can I climb that mountain? I don't think you really know until you do it. The knowledge of faith, then, does not just sort of strike you as a lightning bolt from heaven. The knowledge of faith is something you grow in as you live by and out of your faith. You will become more convinced of the truth of the Word of God the more you live by and out of this Word. Then there's the second part of faith. The true faith is also a firm confidence. Here we might use the word trust. That part of true faith is not just a, a knowing in the head and in the heart, but it is also an act of trusting. Look at that woman there in Matthew 15. She begins, Lord, help me. There's already the beginnings of faith there. She's not hesitant, she's not ashamed to admit it. But then the Lord Jesus Christ further refines her faith. He does it by putting her down. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He calls her a dog. And dogs? I think somebody said, not once in the Bible is a dog ever spoken of in a positive way. They were not viewed as pets. This woman needs to know that she has no right at all to the grace of God. And that's how faith grows too. That's a key ingredient to true faith. True faith has no sense of entitlement, not a speck. Before God, I am a dog. You are a dog. This woman is a dog. True faith can only grow in the soil of those who have been humbled. But then what does this woman say? 
Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This woman will not give up. Just give me a little crumb, Lord. Because a little crumb from you is not so little. Do you have a faith like this? Do you have a true faith? Now you could look into your heart, like people sometimes did in the past, to see if you feel something. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But look here at what faith is like. Faith is desperate for even the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Faith wants help from Jesus Christ and no one less. Faith is a looking away from yourself and all that you might have or do. Faith wants Jesus Christ and what can only be found in Him. Faith in particular in question and answer 21. That in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation. Only those things come from Jesus. Those things only come from Jesus Christ. Faith is freely admitting that you are far, far from perfect, that in fact you are dead in yourself, that all your righteousness is like filthy rags. Yet you see one who has a righteousness perfect in the sight of God. And you want that. You want Him to be yours. Faith, then, is the opposite of works. Faith is part of the family of grace. So true faith is simply also like being like that thief on the cross who cries out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I put my trust in you. I have no hope. In, in anyone or anywhere else. But what about my heart? You know, a German pastor from the last century had to deal with this question. I just mentioned that because sometimes this is a problem in Dutch Reformed churches, but it's broader than that too. He noted that in his congregation, people were very focused on the subjective feeling of faith. You might know John Wesley, for instance. He talked about his conversion as his heart being strangely warmed as he heard someone read to him the preface to Luther's commentary on Romans. This happened at 8.45 in the morning. John Wesley wrote in his journal, I felt I did trust Christ. This German pastor points out, that is not the direction of Scripture. That language is very strange, really. I felt I did trust Christ. Scripture does not focus on some sort of warming of the heart that you might have to feel. Similarly, when people, when when you love someone, certainly your heart is involved. But it is a mistake to start focusing on your heart. 
on what you feel. True love instead focuses on the person. You find them enchanting, lovely. So we get sidetracked if we focus on our hearts. Even if we focus on our faith itself. Because true faith, from a certain angle, you could say, even forgets about itself. Instead, true faith only has eyes for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the question really to ask. Not, what do you feel in your heart? How does the Lord Jesus Christ look to you? Do you have awe and wonder over him? Will you be like Thomas? I confess, as you see Christ, my Lord and my God, there is no one and nothing like you. That's what true faith looks like. And yet we do need to go even further because notice in our Heidelberg Catechism, we also dare to get very personal. That not only to others, but also to me. And these were fighting grounds at the time of the Reformation. But that's really a whole other sermon. But let's just highlight here. This is the direction of true faith. Not just to be general and vague, but to be specific. Job says, even in the midst of his struggles and difficulties, which no doubt challenged him about whether the love and power of God were real, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh, I shall see God. David sings in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Believers can dare claim. Not so much because of who they are, of course, even because their faith is so strong, but because they see who their God and Savior is. Salvation is not up in the air. It does not rest upon us. Justification is not a process that you are busy with that needs to be finished on earth. Or if you're not done, then in purgatory. And only then can you really say, yes, I am saved. A true faith is a personal trust and confidence that you may say, even though you are a sinner, with many struggles and many weaknesses, yet I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, sometimes we are not sure of that. And in our confessions, we also admit that in the Canis Adort, for instance, there's a heading, chapter 511, This assurance is not always felt. But notice there too, we acknowledge faith and assurance are actually different things. 
Sometimes our faith seems to be very holy, like Swiss cheese. Our assurance can yet go up and down. But this is the goal of a true faith, to have assurance. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. And Lord, I am one who believes. But help me in my unbelief. Help me, Lord, not to look at myself. But help me to accept Your promise. What Your Word declares about those who believe. I have nothing in myself. Lord, just give me a crumb. And look at how the Lord Jesus answers this woman here. And all she does is agree in her desperation. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. She makes it very clear. She has no right. It must be entirely up to God. But she receives that word of the Savior. That in her desperation and neediness, she is already there. O woman, great is your faith. It will be done as you desire. May our faith be great in this regard as well. Amen.